Hey, Door of Hope Northeast, Josh Wilder here, uh, one of the elders at the church, and I am down in one of the kids' rooms at the Northeast building because it's actually Thursday afternoon and swelteringly hot, and there is AC here, and it is quiet, two things that are uh, not exactly present at my own home. So here I am. And I'm happy to talk with you about the letter of 1 John. So you've already heard the passage read and a prayer given. And I would like to begin with a thought experiment, if you would indulge me. So take a moment and get yourself in some kind of a posture that is undistracted, whether that's closing your eyes or taking a few deep breaths or whatever it is you have to do. And think about how you would answer this one question. Who are you? Who are you? See, the way that you answer that question, the way I answer that question, is going to be incredibly revealing. It reveals how we understand ourselves, how we understand the world around us, the way that we make decisions, and how we just interact and have our overall being in the world. And this sense of identity is, I think, precisely what John is getting at in this passage. But before we dig too deep into that, I think there should be a little bit of context here. So in the letter of 1 John, you, you may have noticed by now that it actually runs in cycles around, around particular themes. And you can check out the Bible Project video on 1 John, and Tim talks more about it. But last week, we saw the return to the theme of warning, against, warning his readers against false teachers. And next week, we're going to see again a return to the theme of what you might call right living or living in accordance with our um, alleged obedient or our, our alleged allegiance to Jesus. So that's going to come next week, but actually sandwiched in between there is the passage for this week. And a good question to ask when you're like, okay, I recognize that, I recognize that, but this is kind of new. I'm not really sure about this. Good question to ask is, why is it there? Well, I think one of the reasons why it's here is because John, as well as Paul, um, Paul does something similar in his letters, they know that when you say something like, hey, be more like Jesus, if you just leave it at a mere behavior modification, you're really not going to go very far. In order for us to actually be changed, to be transformed, we have to understand who, are, who, who we are at a more deep and fundamental level. And that's what's going on here. That's why he says, see what love the Father has for us and that we have been called children of God. See, that excitement, that energy of having a new identity then fuels and motivates the actions that are going to follow. So in the thought experiment, I asked you, who are you? And you probably had some idea in your head. And if you were to ask someone on the street, just here in Portland or somewhere else, they are going to have some idea in their head of who they are. And that will largely reveal how they act in the world. So they're probably going to say something about their the region where they're from, I'm Californian, I'm Oregonian, I'm Washingtonian, I'm, I'm from Canada, I'm from Wyoming, I'm a New Yorker, 
they'll, they'll probably say something, uh, you know, about their politics. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm a Libertarian. I'm none of the above, or maybe I'm part of the Green Party, Progressive Party, something like that. Or they might say their philosophy, like I'm kind of a Stoic, or I'm uh, I'm a Hegelian, or I'm a postmodernist, or I'm a post-postmodernist. They may, uh, depending on who it is, and that once again this will reveal who they are. They might bring out their sexual identity. Um, they almost certainly will bring out their race, their culture, or their religious sort of identity. So they'll say I'm I'm. Caucasian, I'm, I, I'm African, African-American, I'm Native American, I'm Hispanic. Um, they might bring out um, things like, I'm Jewish, I'm Christian, I'm Muslim, I'm Buddhist, I'm secular, I'm anti-religious, or I'm non-religious. They're probably going to bring out all of these things, and what may not be available there on the, on the surface, but what actually happens is, <clears throat> we, we actually have something even more fundamental than all of these uh, different parts, which are genuinely and legitimately part of our identity. But there is somewhere deep down in the foundation, this primary core controlling uh, narrative that actually unifies all these pieces, ties them all together, bundles them up, prioritizes them as to which is most important and which is least and all in between, and it's that tying together, that unifying principle, that controlling narrative that John is really getting at. It's, it's that thing in us that tells us who we are. It's that narrative. And this is what John is going for. See, in, in John's day, they had the same kinds of things. Your status, your, your region. You know, I'm a Jew. I'm a Roman. I'm a Greek. I'm a Stoic. I'm an um, Epicurean. I'm a Neoplatonist. I'm a Middle Platonist. Um, they, I'm a senator. I'm a, I'm a aristocrat. I'm a plantation owner. I'm a slave. You know, they they had the same ways of of presenting themselves and their identities, but they had one that, for most of us in America, we lack, but are largely there when we, uh, if you come from a more traditional culture. See, in, in traditional cultures, they will tell you that the primary core of their identity is going to be wrapped up in their family. So for me, my last name is Wilder. So for me, it would be, who are you? I'm a Wilder. And this is what Wilders do. Wilders do this, 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 and this. Wilders live like this. Or maybe Wilders are well-known. We have a reputation for whatever it is. Or maybe we're poor and we're like, yeah, but we Wilders work hard. And pretty soon, by the end of my life, everyone's going to know who we are. So there was a sense of, identity being drawn up into your family and John is actually challenging that and saying no your primary identity is drawn up into God's family not your earthly family and you can hear echoes of this remember Jesus says unless you hate your father mother sister or brother you cannot be my disciple and of course he wasn't saying actually hate them but he's saying they have to they have to take second place when it comes to our allegiance to Jesus. So when John is saying, wow, we're children of God, he's actually going for the jugular. Which brings up the question, what are the things that we're hanging on to? What is our primary core identity? Is it actually being a child of God or is it in something else? Jesus, through John, 
is challenging us on that point. We ought to see ourselves first and foremost as children of God. Now, what does he mean by children of God, though? Let's talk about it. So being a child of God means several things. First, it means being not simply born, but born again. What I mean by that is we aren't children of God just because we exist. In fact, later on in the next chapter, or later on in the same chapter, John is going to say some people are children of the devil. He says it also in his gospel in chapter 8. So those people were born, but they're children of the devil. So obviously you don't become a child of God simply by being born. Actually, I think what John means is what he says in his gospel in chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. And I'll read it. Uh, John says, He, that is Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, when he talks about the born of the will of the flesh, of blood, of man, that's natural birth. He contrasts that with being children of God, being born of God. And he says we get that when we receive and believe in him. Now, some of you, maybe if you're hearing this and maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're not part of the Lord Hope, and somehow you came across this, you might be thinking, man, that sounds awfully exclusive. Don't you realize that that's uh, kind of the root of all human problems, all this tribalism and warfare and fighting over resources? That's because people prefer their own tribe over others and exclude them. And that's a, a, a very valid concern if you're having it. And it's actually worth having a whole talk to itself, and I don't have time for that. But I, I will give a couple of responses. The first is, as Christians, we believe that every human being is made in God's image. And what that means is that we, as Christians, are to give them due honor and respect and dignity simply because they are made in God's image. And secondly, we aren't saying we're children of God because we're better than anyone else. Everyone has made themselves an enemy of God, including us. But God has also reached out his hand to everyone to say, come be my child. And we've responded. So there, there is no grounds for us thinking that we're superior to anyone else. And there certainly is no justification for treating anyone poorly. Certainly for treating anyone worse than we treat each other. In fact, Jesus tells us to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who persecute us, and to love our enemies. So if we're to do that for our enemies, how much more should we do for those who haven't made themselves our enemies? For those who perhaps have not yet accepted God's invitation to be a part of his family. So for Christians, there is no excuse, no justification for treating people poorly. It's inconsistent with who we are. But back to the point about what it means to be a child of God, which all that stuff also means is part of what it means to be a child of God. Further, it, being a child of God means that we will look like Jesus. We will share in this likeness. And of course, loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, all those things, that's part of sharing in God's likeness. 
in, in, uh, in John's letter, earlier in chapter 2, he had talked about um, anyone who uh, claims to follow him must walk in the way in which he walked. And that's what he means by likeness. A, a great illustration for this actually is, is in John's Gospel in chapter 8, where Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, and they make this claim. They say, we are Abraham's offspring. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you were Abraham's offspring, you would be doing the things that Abraham did. And by that he means believing in Jesus. Uh, you would be doing what Abraham did if you were his child. He says instead, you are children of the devil because you're doing what your father, the devil, did in not believing in Jesus. So there's a sense in which being a child of God means that we have a resemblance to him. We do the things that he does. And of course, it's true that there are people who are not Christians, who are not part of the family of God, who are much more well-behaved than we Christians. Fully admit it and don't excuse it. God has rebellious children, just like anyone else. And God has more rebellious children than anyone else, too, by the way. Uh, you and I, if, if you have six kids, that's a lot. And if all of them are rebellious, well, then that's six rebellious kids. God's got a lot more. But just because they're rebellious, it doesn't mean that they're not his children. Finally, what does it mean to be a children of God? It means intimacy. Intimacy with God. You see, God could have simply um, said, you know what? You screwed up. You don't deserve forgiveness. Y'all go to hell. And God would have totally been justified in doing that. But he doesn't. He says, okay, I'll forgive you. And he could have said, okay, I forgive you from this point in the in the present, but from now on, you better shape up. He doesn't do that either. Rather, God says, I forgive you from the beginning of your life to the, to the end of your life. And further, he could have done that and said, yeah, I forgive you, but you got to be there and I'll be over here. But he doesn't. Once again, he says, no, I want to be with you. And he doesn't say, I just want to be with you on Tuesdays and Thursdays twice a month. He says, I want to be with you every day, every day. I want you to be in my family. I want you to be in my house. I want to be having meals with you. I want to be going out together. I want to be interacting with you as though you are a member of my family. And that is huge. It means that we actually have intimacy with him. And here's the thing about our intimate relationships. Our well-being, our sense of satisfaction, our highs and our lows are higher and lower based on how our intimate relations, our intimate relationships are doing. So if your circumstances are really great, but your relationships are down in the toilet, you're not really that high up. And if your circumstances are awful, but your relationships are good, those intimate relationships will actually lift you. They don't change the circumstances, but they actually keep you from hitting that rock bottom. Our well-being is tied to our intimate relationships. And with God, that means that he's not dragging us down. He's, we will go through hard times, but we will never actually hit that rock bottom because we always have this relationship that is still intact, that is, that in which we are receiving love and sufficiency from God. And we as a, as a primarily white evangelical church have a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters of color in this regard. I was reading a book um, by a guy named Howard Thurman, who was a 
who was a mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. And this book's called Jesus and the Disinherited, by the way. So I highly recommend it. But in that book, he talks about how when Africans were brought to the North American continent as slaves, their, their white masters called them beasts and treated them like beasts. And their response was largely to be fearful, to be angry, and to be violent. And when they did that, they confirmed that message. They confirmed that idea of who they were back to their white masters. But they also had these slave ministers who would hold secret meetings, and they would tell them things like, you are not beasts. You are not even slaves. You are God's children. And that knowledge of being God's children gave them a kind of freedom to, that, that allows, allowed them to rise up from within their own circumstances. They were able to transcend their circumstances. Now, I'm not saying that their circumstances did not need to change. They did. And, it, and the, the plight of the oppressed, that we need to do what we can to change their circumstances. That's a different point. My point is that being a child of God, that knowledge that we are a child of God, actually allows us to move through and beyond our circumstances. Thurman says this about, um, about being God's children. He says that it tends to stabilize the ego and results in a new courage, fearlessness, and power. He says it becomes the answer to the threat of violence, yea, to violence itself. To the degree to which a man knows this, that he is God's child, he is unconquerable from within and without. Um, being a child of God empowers us to have joy regardless of our circumstances. And this should give us an enormous sense of awe and wonder and should, should make our identity as a child of God the root of who we are. J.I. Packer, who, who recently went to be with the Lord, wrote an excellent book. It was actually the first theology book I ever read besides the Bible. It's called Knowing God. And in that book, he says this, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Mm. Yeah, for some of us, we have to go, if Packer's right, I don't understand Christianity very well at all. So what do we do about that? How do we internalize this and make being a child of God our, our primary core controlling narrative of the way that we understand ourselves? Well, if you look again at chapter 3, verse 2, where John says, we are children of God, but we don't really know what that means entirely. But we do know this, that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Seeing him changes us. And that is true all the way across the board. What we see will transform us.
one of the reasons why it's so hard to hold this sense of our identity as the deepest core of who we are is because we see so many other things that are contradicting it. We see the advertisements, the bumper stickers, the newsreels. We see the Instagram and the, and the Twitter voices. We're constantly around a world that is telling us who we are, who we ought to be, what we need to buy, what we need to be doing with our life. It's giving us an identity. And there are people who make a ton of money creating software that will get us staring at our screens for as many hours as possible just so that they can keep telling us who we are. Now, I'm not saying let's all smash our phones because they're of the devil. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that we need to actually think about this. We need to actually think about how what we see affects us. So I actually have three practical suggestions that can help us in this regard, and they all begin with R. Isn't that wonderful? Pastors love doing this thing where they'll have three points and they all begin with the same letter. So I'm going to try it out. So the first one that begins with R is resist. Resist the urge to constantly look at your screen, to constantly check your status. Resist uh, the constant barrage of data that's coming at you through newsreels, through political pundits, through bumper stickers, through everything that's out there. Resist the constant clamor, the constant voice. Just shut things down. Resist. Second thing, recognize. Recognize and call out when things are telling you who you are. Do, do this experiment this week. When you see a bumper sticker, say, what is that telling me about who I am and about what the world is about? Recognize it. Recognize when the advertisement is telling me, oh, I'm totally ugly unless I buy that. Oh, I'm a total loser unless I buy that. Recognize when they're telling you who you are. Recognize when the news is telling you you're a terrible person unless this. You're a wonderful person if this. Resist the news. Resist the political pundits. Resist those who are telling you you are your sexual identity. You are your race and your culture. You are all these things. Yes, you are. That's part of who you are. But you are so much more than that. So recognize it. Call it out. When you see it, if you're around your children or other believers, say, hey, 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 look, they're telling us to be this, that, or the other. They're telling us who we are. So recognize, resist, finally remember. Remember Jesus. See him. Like Cameron said a few weeks ago, get out the Gospels and read. Read about Jesus. Fill your mind with his life. Remember. Remember those who you look at and you're like, they look like Jesus. Or they talk about Jesus. Remember them. And read their books or their blogs. Uh, listen to their podcasts. Give them a call if you know them personally. Remember those people who, are, who have gone before you or who are closer to Jesus than you are right now. And get some time with them. Remember that Jesus came and he sacrificed for you. Remember that being adopted into his family is his idea. Remember that he is coming again. And remember that when you see him, you'll be like him. Because you'll see him as he is. I love you guys. 
miss you. I wish we could get together in person. Unfortunately, that's not the case. So I'll see you next time. Once again, it's Josh Wilder on your elders.